0: Welcome, everyone, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, I have the honor of moderating as the six debaters you see sharing the stage with me here at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Six debaters, three against three, will be debating this motion, Don't Blame Teachers' Unions for Our Failing Schools. This is a debate, and I'm the referee, but you, the audience, are actually the judges. You will have been asked by the time this debate ends to vote twice, once before and once after debate, to tell us where you stand on this motion. The team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. I also wanted to share a a very brief personal note. My grandfather was a New York City public school teacher. And so is my father. And so is my mother. And so is my 93-year-old Aunt Grace, who even now is living on in the Bronx. I will make all of this irrelevant. Because that is my job, to be neutral and to moderate. So let's get on with round one of our debate, opening statements by each debater in turn. And speaking first for the motion, I'd like to introduce uh, Randy Weingarten, who is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the country's second largest teachers' union, and I believe also you have New York City school teachers in your heritage.
1: Absolutely.
0: Ladies and gentlemen? Many, many of them. Many, many. Randy Weingarten, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Look, we have a double challenge today in America. We have the effects of the global recession, state and local budgets that are totally and completely decimated right now. And so when the investment is very, very meek, as it is right now, and the need is very, very great, it's no wonder that people are looking to find one entity to blame. But, my friends, blaming unions for school failure... It's like blaming the middle class for the recession. If teacher unions were to be blamed for failing schools, then you would assume that schools in less unionized states would outperform schools in more densely unionized states. So you'd assume that places like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, who have relatively few unionized teachers, would do much, much better. But that's not the case. The states with the most densely unionized teachers, Massachusetts, New York, Maryland, they do the best. There are problems we have to solve, one of which is poverty. We have to compete with poverty. That's what public education is, and that is what the search we have for, to find what works. And I would argue to all of you that having a strong union, someone and an entity that will look at what it's done right and what it's done wrong and solve things and change things is the way to go. What can we learn from places like Maryland, Massachusetts, New York State? This is what we can learn. What works in places where we don't, where we don't have niche markets, where we can't marketize our schools, where we have to help all kids The difference between the places that work and the places that don't are good labor management relationships, like we see in one of my other panelists here in the ABC School District in California, which has lifted its scores, which has changed its relationships from competitive to ones that are collaborative. Everyone has to take more responsibility in this day and age. If we're going to ensure that all kids are ready for life, that means that that means we all have to take collective responsibility and we at the AFT attempted to do that in any number of ways first in pushing for common standards including the new common core curriculum or the common core standards and in looking at ourselves and saying look we have to have a new approach due process. We can't have rubber rooms anymore. We can't have a choice between off with your heads and warehousing. We can't have situations where if there is incompetence in the classroom, we allow that to happen. But we also have to give teachers the tools and the time and the conditions that they need to do a good job with kids. We need teachers to have the support of the people around us the unions will do everything in their power to help fight for the tools and the conditions that teachers need. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Randy Weingarten. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And now to argue against the motion, I'd like to introduce Terry Moe of the Hoover Institution, whose book almost 20 years ago, Politics, uh, Markets, and America's Schools, uh, was full of ideas that seemed radical at the time and that since then have become uh, actually part of school systems, experimental school systems throughout the country. I don't know whether it's been the pace that you would like, Terry.
2: It's been 20 years. <laughs> yeah. well, it's only 20 years. Okay. So. Ladies and gentlemen, Terry Moe. Uh, I should be clear that our team is not saying that the teachers' unions are responsible for every problem of the public schools. Uh, What we are saying is that uh, the unions are and have long been major obstacles to real reform of the system. So, look, let me start with... Um, an obvious example. The teachers unions have fought for all sorts of protections in labor contracts and in state laws that make it virtually impossible to get bad teachers out of the classroom. On average it takes two years, $200,000 and 15 percent of the principal's total time to get one bad teacher out of the classroom. As a result, principals don't even try. They give 99 percent of teachers, no joke, satisfactory evaluations, and the bad teachers just stay in the classroom. This is devastating, and the unions are largely responsible for that, right? They're also responsible for seniority provisions in these labor contracts that, among other things, often allow senior teachers to stake a claim to desirable jobs, even if they're not good teachers and even if they're a bad fit for that school, right? These seniority rules often require districts to lay off junior people before senior people. It's happening all around the country now. And some of these junior people are the best teachers in the district. Would anyone in his right mind organize schools in this way if all they cared about was what's best for kids? These organizational issues are really important, but they're just part of a larger set of problems. Our nation has been trying to reform the schools since the early 1980s. The whole time The teachers' unions have used their extraordinary power in the political process to try to block reform and make sure that real reform just never happens. Consider charter schools. You know, there are many kids around this country who are stuck in schools that just aren't teaching them. They need new options. Charter schools can provide them with those options. But charter schools are a threat to teachers' unions, right, because if you give kids choice and they can leave regular public schools, Then they take money, and they take jobs with them. And so what they've done is they've used their power in the political process to put a ceiling on the numbers of charter schools. As a result, in this country today, we have 4,600 charter schools, and there are, like, well over 90,000 public schools. So this is a drop in the bucket. And meantime, charter schools have huge waiting lists of people who are desperate to get in. In Harlem, for example, the charter schools there got 11,000 applications for 2,000 slots this is good for kids? I don't think so. This is about protecting jobs. Okay, the same kind of logic applies with accountability. We obviously need to hold schools and teachers accountable for teaching kids what they're supposed to know. Right? But the t- teachers' unions find this threatening. They, they say they support accountability, but they don't want teachers held accountable. And any sensible effort to hold teachers accountable, they brand as scapegoating teachers. They don't even want teachers' performance to be measured. Now, what you're going to hear, I'm sure, throughout the evening, is that union leaders and unions around the country, they're actually reformers, too. They want to get bad teachers out of the classroom. They favor charter schools. They're all in favor of accountability, right? Well, not really. What counts is what they actually do, and what they do is to oppose reform. This is the reality. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Terry Moe. Our motion is, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. I'd like to introduce our second debater speaking for the motion. Kate McLaughlin is an elementary school teacher in Lowell, Massachusetts. At the moment, our only active teacher in the debate tonight. Um, Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate McLaughlin.
3: The first time I heard about this, you know, don't blame teachers' unions, I, I too, thought, like Randy. I'm from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which I'm very proud to say is number one in the country. Our students perform higher than anybody else in this country academically, yet we have the strongest collective bargaining rights in the country. So to me, it just doesn't add up. And then I started thinking, I'm I'm also a doctoral student, so I'm trying to learn as much as I can about research. And there is no research, there is no research out there that correlates student achievement to collective bargaining rights, to teacher unionism either for or against. So with that, what do collective bargaining rights do to improve schools? And I have a lot to say, because not only am I a teacher, I'm the executive vice president of the United Teachers of Lowell, and I deal with this firsthand as a union leader. For me, what collective bargaining rights do is they provide um, dignity, a way to provide dignity for a profession that, frankly, gets beat up on a lot. Um, And the way that we can do that is we can ensure language that improves working conditions for teachers, but also for children. Um, The other thing that collective bargaining rights help us with at a local level is it ensures academic freedom. And what that means is there are times as a teacher that I need to advocate for the child. And that means I have to say something unpopular, something that an administrator might not appreciate me saying, And I need to be able to do that to be the best teacher that I can be. And I need to be able to do that without fear. And what the teachers' unions do at the local level is we serve as a conduit for the teachers. So while my opponents on this motion might say that I have my own agenda, I would argue that is absolutely not true. My agenda is the agenda of the teachers, what the teachers need. So the way that we find that out at a local level, the president of our union and the superintendent, along with other members of the executive board, go to the schools and meet with the teachers and find out what they need to get their jobs done. And the most important thing, in my opinion, about what we've done is this labor management union. Because with all due respect, we've been, the teachers have been told what to do. We've been given scripted curricula, from under Reading First Grants and under these grants, and we found, the teachers found, they were not working for children. We've been told what to do, and now what we need to do is have a seat at the table to be part of the decision-making. And so in LOA, we have begun this journey to build collaborative structures in our district between labor and management so the people at the ground floor, the teachers, can inform the decisions that are made for children so it is indeed what is best for them. Thank you.
0: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. So here's where we are in this debate. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, acting as moderator. We have six debaters, three against three, fighting it out over this motion. Don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And now on to our fourth. To speak against the motion, I'd like to introduce Rod Page, who uh, is famously... uh, the U.S. Secretary of Education under the Bush administration, even more famously once called teachers' unions terrorist groups. Um, I knew that was going to come up. It has to come up. Um, And also uh, his own background in education. He is the son of uh, a school principal in rural Mississippi who, to make ends meet, also worked as a barber, I believe. Is that correct, Rod? And how times have changed, or perhaps they have not. Ladies and gentlemen, Rod Page.
4: I'm here to convince you to vote against this proposition. All of us know that teachers are not solely to blame for our failing schools, but they bear significant responsibility. Now, to understand my point of view, you have to realize how powerful these organizations are. Teachers' unions represent the most dominant political force in American education. Teacher unions represent the number one political spender in the United States of America. In the state of California, the NEA spent more in the last decades than any other political spender. The NEA has 3.2 million members, 14,000 locals across the United States. And last year, in in 2007, they collected about $400 million from their members to supplement the other revenue streams that they had. The AFT is not a slouch either. They have 1.4 million members, 300 locals across the United States, and they're active in 43 states. The NEA has state offices in every state in the United States. Now, in the American workforce, about 12% of the, of the workforce is unionized. But in the education professions, it's 38%. Teachers, unions, literally have our, many of our schools in a chokehold. This is completely dangerous. try to convince people, I've heard a lot of this tonight, about children. Don't be fooled. Teacher unions' main interest is the welfare of their members. I'm going to rush to two more major points that really tick me off to some extent. (laughs) Teacher unions are sitting on both sides of the negotiating table in many cases. Teacher unions work with school boards so that they have representatives, uh, representatives on the school boards. When I served as the superintendent of Houston one of my nine school board members was actually an employee of the teachers' union. Uh, They have school boards that have teacher union representatives sitting on that side of the table, the union sitting on this side of the table, and they're negotiating with themselves. But here's the worst thing, I think, that really fires me up. (laughs) Teacher unions have awesome power to cause action in schools. They have zero responsibility for the student performance. Now, that's just not fair. It handicaps the principals and the superintendents who are operating with both hands tied behind their back. Now, here again, I want to be earnest, and I want to be fair. We cannot solely blame teachers' unions for this complex issue we got in our schooling situation, but they do bear significant responsibility. And the only way you can express that is to vote against this motion. Our schools are over-unionized, and consequently, reform has run into a roadblock. Thank you very much. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And
0: now to speak for the motion, and we just heard Rod Page say that superintendents have their hands tied by the unions. Well, Gary Smuts is a school superintendent of the ABC Unified District in California, considered a district where the schools work. And, Gary, you have said in the past you do work effectively and successfully with unions. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Smuts.
5: Now, I must clearly delineate my prejudice my frame of reference. I am from the ABC Unified School District, Southern California, about 21,000 students. We're about 89% diverse, 38 different languages spoken in my school district. We have a remarkable relationship with our affiliate, the ABC AFT. We're affiliated with the National American Federation of Teachers, second largest teachers union in the United States. We formed our own charter, and ABC is not a charter school. We have a charter partnership agreement with the ABCFT, where the main work of the teachers' union in my district is student achievement and the conditions that support that. Last year, Laura Rico, the president of my teachers' union, had a workshop where all the union reps came in, and they changed their name from union rep to learning rep. And they were told by the teachers' union president, the number one job that you have in this union is student achievement. Their main goal, the main idea in my district our union and student achievement. Now here are some examples of staff development in my district that's jointly sponsored by myself and our our colleagues in American Federation of Teachers. These are some of the courses that are taught by our teachers union. Instructional strategies that work, reading comprehension, school family and community partnerships supporting student learning. We spend Actually, my teachers' union spends tens of thousands of dollars in direct staff development with our community and our teachers to improve learning. Now, don't blame my district's union for failing schools. In fact, they're one of the reasons my district is successful. In my district, 10 of my schools, now these are struggling schools, have just received an innovation grant where each of these schools has a separate program to innovate and improve That school specifically tailored to the needs of that individual school. That innovation grant came from the American Federation of Teachers National Organization. $3.3 million in innovation grants funded the ABC Unified School District, 10 of our 30 schools. Now, that's just not in California or ABC. Actually, the grant funded programs and districts in eight different states. In other districts throughout the United States, there are... uh, working on community partnerships they're working on using student assessment data to evaluate teachers they're also working on creating charter schools so if you're for charters if you're for holding teachers accountable uh, using student assessment data listen to the american federation of teachers now twice each year american federation of teachers hosts hosts the shanker institute let me tell you what we learned at the shanker institute these are different workshops state standards curriculum bridging the gap improving the quality in the use of student assessment data. In every seminar I've been to, there's never been a session on how to keep crummy teachers. They don't do that. States with teachers unions set the highest standards, according to Education Week. Success, high standards, accountability. If you want that, support teachers unions in schools where that works.
0: Thank you, Gary Smuts. Our next debater, does blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Larry Sand is a retired teacher and former teachers' union member who grew disillusioned with the operation. He founded the California Teachers Empowerment Network, and I've seen Larry you described in print as a pain in the union's backside. <laughs> I assume we'll see why. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Sands.
6: In educating children, there is nothing more valuable than a dedicated and gifted teacher, and nothing more harmful and destructive than a bad one. And it's those teachers, the mediocre and the incompetent ones, that the unions typically represent. In fact, they punish good teachers in numerous ways. Unions insist that school districts not pay good teachers what they're worth. They insist on an archaic factory model of payment, whereby teachers make more money by years on the job, not productive years, just by calendar progression. Considered the greatest teacher of our time, Jaime Escalante, subject of the film Stand and Deliver, attracted national attention at Garfield High School in Los Angeles with his spectacular success teaching college-level calculus to gang members and other unteachables. What was the problem? Because he was willing to have more students in his class than the United Teachers of Los Angeles contract allowed for, he was basically run out of town by that union. When there are layoffs due to budget cuts, do the worst teachers get laid off? No. The newest hires are let go. You're teacher of the year, too bad. You double test scores, too bad. But the unions will go to any length to save the job of a bad tenured teacher. If you think I'm exaggerating, here's a quote from an LA union rep. If I'm representing them, it's impossible to get them out. It's impossible unless they commit a lewd act. End quote. And maybe not even then. You're laughing. This is a true story, and this didn't happen very long ago. X was a former colleague. He's alleged to have touched a female student inappropriately. There were witnesses. The female student would not press charges. So they put X into the district office for a while, the so-called rubber room. Got a union lawyer. They put him in another school. He apparently did the same thing. Back to the rubber room. Finally, one day, I guess he got bored, he decided to bring porn to the district office, the rubber room he got caught. With the union lawyer's help, he got put back into a school, and in short order, he got caught showing his female students some of his pornography collection. Now, the last I heard, he's back in the district office waiting for his union lawyer to make the next move. This is the kind of guy that really needs the union, not a dedicated teacher, not an honest teacher. This is the kind of guy who really needs the union. Once again, a union rep in his own words, I've gone in and defended teachers who shouldn't even be pumping gas. Not my quote. This is a union rep. Very importantly, the unions are constantly trying to limit the number of charter schools. The Cartel, an excellent film by Bob Bowden about public education, is one of the most affecting scenes I've ever seen on film. It shows parents and children waiting to see if they won the lottery, that is, if they got into the charter school. And in this scene, the camera goes in to close on the faces of the children and the the parents who are winning the lottery and getting into the charter school, and they're thrilled, and you feel happy for them. And then they go into the people who didn't win, and these people are crying and sad, and you feel horrible for them. But these tears of joy and anger, excuse me, tears of joy and sadness turn to anger because you realize the unions are constantly fighting the establishment of charter schools. I will close with a quote from Juan Williams, who said about this situation, the NEA seems far more devoted to its members than they are of the children they teach, it doesn't seem to bother them that they continue to fail the nation's most vulnerable children. Amen to that, Mr. Williams. Thank you, Larry Sand. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared debate.
0: And we now have the results of our initial vote where we asked you, the live audience, to tell us where you stand on this motion. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Before the debate, the vote went like this. Those for the motion, 24%. Those who blame teachers' unions for our failing schools against the motion, 43%. And we have 33% undecided. We'll ask you to vote once again at the end of the debate, and the team that changes the most minds during the course of the debate will be declared our winner. Now on to round two. This is our middle round in which the debaters talk directly to one another. And I want to begin with a couple of Specific charges that were laid out there but not really responded to. Terry Moe specifically saying that teachers' unions operate against the whole notion of charter schools, that they try to stop them wherever they find them. I want to hear from the other side, true or not true. Let's start with Randy Weingarten.
1: Well, given that the United Federation of Teachers, under my watch, started two charter schools in East New York, it's totally and completely untrue. What we want to do is we want charters to be held to the same accountability standards, including the ones that we started, as any other school. And what the evidence has been in New York, like the evidence around the country, is that charter schools, instead of, as Diane Ravitch said, should take more of the most at-risk kids are actually taking fewer special needs kids and fewer kids with limited English proficiency. We think charters could be a great incubator for instructional practice and could be a great incubator for labor relations practice. The idea is to actually find what works, make it sustainable, and make it replicable. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what I'm trying to do. Terry
0: Moe, Randy Weingarten, is saying, no, it's not true that they are against all charter schools.
2: Well, let me first point out that New York State has a cap on the number of charter schools. It has a cap because this union put it there. And even under the pressure of race to the top, they wouldn't lift the cap.
1: Actually, right? that's So this not is true. not
2: an organization that's in favor of charter schools. They've done everything they can to keep charter schools down. What they're doing now in New York City is they're running three charter schools to show if they can, that unionized charter schools can work because what they want to do is to unionize all the charter schools.
1: Randy That's White. the only
2: reason they're doing it. Randy.
1: I mean, you know, what's interesting, Terry, is that I didn't know you were in my head so much. We are not running charter schools to unionize all charter schools. Where did the what cap come we from? What we wanted to do was actually the New York City and state unions were in favor of lifting the cap and in favor of creating a level playing field to make sure that all kids could equally get into all schools. Larry Sand.
6: So, yeah, just, um, here in New York City, in, in Harlem, we have very successful charter schools like KIPP, Democracy Prep. The parents, as far as I know, there aren't enough to keep up with the demand, yet Randy is saying that she seems to have a problem with charters, so she wants to go very slowly. It seems that the parents want these things because most of their kids are in hell holes. Now, this is, not the, this is not the union's fault that they're in hell holes necessarily, but it's the union's fault because they keep them in hell holes.
3: The best, from, from a local standpoint, in Lowell, Massachusetts, it's quite the opposite. They're actually closing, the, they're actually forced, they wanted to close the charter school, and we actually appealed on their behalf, so they have to cut the school in half and stop Teaching middle schoolers, and we will absorb those students back. You're saying that the the union
0: stood up for the charter school?
3: And the the school system. We, from this charter school that was going to be announced, got students back from this charter school, which we welcomed. We don't get the funding for them for another year. So when the teachers' unions bring up this issue, we're somehow against charter schools. There are major issues about the funding. The other issue about charter schools for me and for my teachers' union is it's an equity issue. And my teachers' union president has gone even to the governor and suggested that if if charter schools are truly innovative, they should be a draft and not a cream-of-the-crop selection. And if you alone base a lottery on which parents have gone to sign up, you have already changed some of those issues. So it is an equity issue.
0: I want to go to the audience for questions now. And as a gentleman... We don't,
2: you don't have problem with having a good car. You know which cars are good and you can choose. And the question is, have teachers' union helped parents to know which teachers are good and which teachers are bad? And second, have they helped parents during the last two three decades, not last two three years, help parents to be able to choose good teachers.
0: So I think the question probably, can both sides can respond, but pro- probably is primarily directed to this side. And I also think it's a rephrasing of a question or a statement that's been put forward by your opponents who argue that the interests of teachers' unions are not the interests of the children. And neither, none of you have actually addressed that particular point. Uh, I,
5: I would agree that teachers' unions don't rank teachers, but neither do administrators. There, there's, there's no ranking... Of teachers in any school by anybody. I don't even know if it's possible. I don't even know if it's desirable. Uh, it wouldn't be something I would recommend that management do or teachers unions do. We've all had teachers that have been enormly, enormously successful with some folks and not very successful with others. Uh, you can't blame teachers union for not ranking teachers because nobody ranks teachers like that.
2: Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that basically the teachers' unions don't want teacher performance to be measured. They especially don't want uh, any information to get out about how well teachers do. Uh, uh, actually, the the testing uh, technology is quite sophisticated now, um, and uh, it's possible, you know, not just to like do value-added calculations for how much kids learn during a year, but also to uh, take into account through statistical controls how much students know at the beginning of the year so that you can control for that. And so it is certainly possible to do these things in a, a very systematic and rigorous and fair way. And I think what we're going to be moving toward eventually, unless the teachers' unions are able to block it, is a system where we have information on teacher performance under a variety of conditions, and we move towards transparency, where it is possible to let people know, you know, what teachers are good and what teachers are not good, because if teachers are not good, people should know that so that they don't put their kids in those classrooms. It's very important. (laughs) I'm John Donvan, and
0: you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion up for debate. Don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Stay with us. We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have six debaters, two teams of three, debating this motion, don't blame the teachers' unions for our failing schools. To another question, black T-shirt. Everyone's thinking about the best interests of the children, but shouldn't we be listening to parents first and not... So why are you standing in the schoolhouse door and stopping parents from having the choice of where to send their children in school. Kate McLaughlin, can you take that one?
3: Well, and again, I, I firmly admit this. I am a Lowell girl, and I don't know everything that goes on in the big wide world, but our public schools in Lowell are all choice schools. There are no neighborhood schools. We're a, a city of a little over 100,000 people. We have 23 schools, um, and parents choose. So I actually am a parent of a Lowell public school child, um, and i went to the central office and registered him i put down my top 3 choices for schools um, very much like what you're all advocating for
5: let's hear oh, from something
3: our union supports my district has
5: schools Gary 30, 30 a schools teammate. Uh, 29 regular k12 kindergarten middle and i mean Elementary, middle, and high school, one adult school, We're schools of choice. We have uh, one-third of our schools are magnet schools where parents can make choices. Every school in our district has a school-side council where parents are represented. We have board advisory committees that are made up of all parents in the district that right. report regularly. Let to me ask board. Rod
4: Page, what do, you hear, what do you make of what he's just saying now? You're saying that choice is good? Yeah. Yes. I want to hear plenty of that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And, we and we've be- had <laughs> choice <laughs> since choice I people. was in elementary school all, in the Lowell Public Schools. We, we all believe that public
1: school choice is good, and we have never I, – I know there's an issue here in terms of what must be going on in New York City right now, because obviously I feel the heat in this room about that. But ultimately, we believe in far broader choice and that every parent should have a, a public neighborhood school – in which to send his or her kids and then ultimately have the broadest possible choices? New York City has actually the broadest high school choice program of any school district in the nation.
2: Terry Moe. Look, this is all in code, right? So basically, the unions are in favor of choice as long as the schools that kids can choose to move into are unionized. And so they're all in favor... This is just true. So they're all in favor of public school choice, Right? Charter schools are public schools, right? But the unions have done everything they can to keep the number of charter schools down
5: everywhere. Right? Gary
0: Smuts, uh, Gary Smuts, response. Well, yeah. we don't
5: have any charters in our school district. Nobody's you know, anybody that supplied uh, trouble is they had not the couple that did didn't adopt the California state curriculum, and that's a requirement. California uh, charters in Southern California aren't don't. Aren't that particularly ter- the, Terry's
0: bottom-line point was that when teachers are talking about charter schools uh, and schools in general, they're all for change and choice, but not if the
5: school is not unionized. Do you think that that's a fair well, point? It's a little hard in California because we're a teacher union state. So I
3: take total exception because my issue as a union leader about charter schools, if they are public schools, and this is my experience as a teacher and hearing from the other teachers – why is it when a child needs an outside placement that costs over $100,000, the charter school sends them back to the public schools to pay for? If they are a public school, that, that is their student. They should support but, but, it. But, Kate,
0: to the point, the, the, do unions only want unionized schools?
3: As a union leader, I see what collective bargaining does for a school in a school system. S- is that a
0: Yes. That's a
3: flat out yes. No, I I think it's a complicated question to answer honestly. No, to answer honestly. I believe in unionism, and I believe that a lot of the charter schools are for profit. And I think that unions help keep the ideals of American values in our schools.
0: Randy that Weingarten. Is Freedom is an American answer. value. Look. Actually,
6: I want to come to you, Randy, but I want to give
0: Larry that, a chance just to keep I this even-handed, and I will come right In back In addition, to you. you're
6: talking about choice. It's very interesting. In the big cities, 40% of public school teachers send their own children to private schools which are not unionized. What does that tell you?
0: Randy Weingarten.
1: The overwhelming number of teachers opt to join a union because whether it's in New York State or other places, everyone has a choice as to whether or not to join a union. They may not have the choice about whether or not to pay for the services the union renders, but they have the choice to join the union. And in New York City, 96% of the people who teach in New York City opt to join the union. Now, the issue around the country, and I believe the same way as Kate, I chose to do this because I believe in my heart that what unions do for kids and for teachers, as well as for working people, is to lift all boats. What we are trying to do as a trade union movement is to ensure that kids get the services that they need and to ensure that teachers get what they need to do a good job?
2: Terry, Terry Moe. Um, I, I think that, uh, first of all, there are laws against uh, arbitrary treatment, um, against discrimination, and so on, that just apply to workers generally. And so what I would like to hear is why it is that teachers are so vulnerable to these things, that they're a special category of people in the United States, that, that they, of all these people, deserve to have a job for life, so that they can't be fired for incompetence.
1: We want to have valid and reliable evaluation systems. Teachers do not like when they are just simply thrown the keys and told, do it. There are many of us, when we first started teaching who had real frustrations in terms of not being able to connect to kids not knowing how to do the things we needed to do.
0: Mo, or do you, Terry do you want to cede to your partner Larry cuz Larry I thought you had your hand up if I'm wrong. Uh, well I was actually Larry Sand.
6: I was going to address another issue of Randy's. Okay. Remind and us you... briefly what it was. Well, she said 96% of teachers, I believe, choose to be in the union in mm-hmm. New York is that I'm mm-hmm.
1: saying in New York City. If
6: you're interested in real choice, For people who don't know, New York is a non-right-to-work state, which essentially means you have to join the union, as is California.
1: That's actually not true, Larry. Okay,
6: let let me finish, Randy, please. In California, you pay $1,000 a year to the union. It's actually even a little more than that. If you opt out of the union, you don't get a choice to opt in. If you opt out, you get back about $300. $700 still goes to the union whether you want it or not. It's like getting a divorce from your wife that you never wanted to marry
2: in the first place and you're still paying alimony. (laughs) Let's go to one more question. Um. We don't blame defense lawyers for defending their clients because we have a good judicial system that allows for prosecutors and, and, and defense lawyers. Similarly, should we blame unions for, defend, for availing themselves of those rights to defend their okay. constituents and not the system? Let me is take, like, okay, in some take way. that
0: and then you um, decide.
3: And I thank you for that question because that was the biggest myth for me as a new teacher. I, I, too, thought, oh, you know, teachers' unions keep bad teachers around. And as I became a building rep and, a, you know, now the vice president, I've seen these cases actually pan out. And it's exactly what you said. Due process is not an easy thing to defend to, to people. The defense lawyer didn't murder the person. But somehow it seems that unions are taking the rap for the actions of someone else when they're actually defending the due process. In, in the case of an, a principal writing something um, and giving a teacher an unsatisfactory, teachers' unions can only talk about the procedures that happened. We actually can't defend the work of a bad teacher. Larry we Sands. We defend procedure, which is exactly... We The
0: point made, and Larry Sands.
6: Okay, very quick to answer your question, sir. Yeah, they act as defense lawyers, I agree with you, but they also make the rules. They make the laws. So no, it seems to
3: be a conflict of interest. It is not true. Right,
6: and that concludes round two of our debate.
4: Thank you.
0: Okay, here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each of our debaters. After that, you will be asked to vote on where you stand on the motion. And to lead off against the motion, Larry Sand, retired teacher and president of the
6: California Teachers Empowerment Network. At my school's retirement uh, lunch last June, <clears throat> excuse me, there were more than retirees saying goodbye we lost several of the hardest-working, most effective and popular young teachers on campus. Several teachers, we all know who they are. The kids know, the parents know, the teachers know, should have been the ones saying goodbye. But because of the union-mandated seniority rules, they weren't. As a parent or just a fair-minded person, don't you want your child, any child, to be taught by the best teacher, not the longest-employed teacher? Of course you do, but that is not what happened in my school and other schools around the country. Yes... The teachers' unions are not the only problems with public education today, but the extent of the damage they have caused cannot be exaggerated. In closing, to show you how twisted the situation really is, what could be more preposterous than this? Well, they go to great lengths to keep the Mr. X's and other sexual predators in the classroom. The union hounded Jaime Escalante, one of the greatest teachers of our time, out of the classroom. Please join us in sending the teachers' unions a resounding message and vote no on your ballot. Thank you. Thank you, Larry Sand. Our
0: motion is don't blame teachers unions for our failing schools and summarizing his position for the motion standing by teachers unions is Gary Smuts, who is superintendent of the ABC United School District in California.
5: Accountability, innovation, standards, high achievement, teacher training, teacher performance measured by student achievement. These are hallmarks of the modern teachers union. It is implied that the teachers union Or non-union is the only variable here. And they've tried to use weasel words to get out of that. Oh, not all of them or some of them. But the the, the case is, if you look at the proposition, you have to blame teachers unions. I guess in each and every case. You have to deny poverty, poor budgets, lack of parental support, poor boards, poor state leadership, poor superintendents. You have to say none of those things count. And only teachers union counts. They know that's not true. And they've said so. So, you can't blame, just blame teachers' unions, and you know that. There's a lot of reasons schools don't work, and it's not just teachers' unions. Professor Mo said that teachers' unions are major, major obstacles to school improvement. Everywhere? Not in my district. It isn't true in a lot of districts. Larry Sand told us a lot of stories from Bandcamp. I don't think that that's a good reason to say. Uh, uh, teacher unions are, are are bad by sharing horror stories from individual places throughout the United States. Being a superintendent is a hot, sweaty business, and it's hard enough doing it by yourself. But I'd much rather work as a superintendent with my colleagues from the American Federation of Teachers to increase student achievement.
0: Thank you, Gary Smuts. Our motion is, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Here to argue against the motion, blaming teachers' unions, is Rod Page, former U.S. Secretary of Education and co-founder of the Chartwell
4: Education Group. But I think I want, to be, I want you to be clear. We all know that teachers' are not, teacher unions are not solely to blame for our failing schools. What we are arguing is the way the motion is, is put, This the only option that you have in order to express the idea that teachers' unions bear significant responsibility for the inability of to reform our schools now. And so we're encouraging you to, to vote no. Teacher unions draw their ability to serve, to protect the interests of their members from their ability to convince the public that they are really about the kids. They are very good at hiding their real intent. They are not who they say they are. Who they say they are is not who they really are. Who they really are are mammoth organizations, highly financed, the most powerful political organizations in the United States of America. So you need to see them in that way. And we think they deserve your vote against the motion because they do bear significant responsibility for the conditions of our schools. Thank you, Rod Page. Summarizing
0: for the motion, standing up for teachers' unions and arguing against our motion, don't blame teachers' unions for... I'm sorry, arguing for our motion, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Kate McLaughlin, an elementary teacher in Lowell, Massachusetts, who is executive vice president of the United Teachers of Lowell, number 495, which is a local of the AFT.
3: It's interesting, because I can't help but take this personally, because I am a union leader, and I am a proud union member, and I'm telling you that I'm speaking with the utmost candor that the kids come first to me and to my union president. Yes, there are political implications to what we do because we are advocating for the things that our children need, stable housing, health care, and access to great and wonderful schools. So I would ask that you see the people on this panel as people who are actually doing this work on the ground level. We are the conduit for our teachers Our teachers tell us what they need in their classrooms, and we collect this information and we work together with our superintendent and other central office personnel to make it happen. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kate McLaughlin. Arguing against the motion, arguing that teachers unions are at fault, Terry Moe, the William Bennett Monroe Professor of Political Science at Stanford University and senior fellow at the Hoover Institution.
2: All right. Well, I think it's important here at the end uh, to just focus on the big picture. Uh, And the big picture is very simple, and it's very devastating. The teachers' unions are by far the most powerful groups in American education, and they use their power mainly to protect jobs. And what they say is that there's really no conflict between protecting jobs and doing what's best for kids. But There are conflicts, lots of them. And as a result, we can't get bad teachers out of the classroom. And fundamental reforms, good reforms that make sense for kids, are resisted and undermined and weakened. Our opponents say that they want reforms too, that they want to get bad teachers out of the classroom. We've heard that several times. And my response is, hey, it's 2010. If you wanted to get bad teachers out of the classroom, why didn't you do it 30 years ago, you know? Same thing with choice and accountability. They could have been aggressive in supporting these things, pushing for more choice, pushing for accountability. The reason we don't have them is that they've been opposing them. So, again, what counts is not what you say, it's what you do. So here's the bottom line. You You have an opportunity to show tonight where you stand. So please do that. Please vote no on this proposal.
0: Thank you, Terry Moe. Our motion is... Don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And finally, to argue for that motion, standing by the teachers, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, the country's second largest teachers' union.
1: When I think about what we're doing here tonight, I don't think about it as a debate on this motion and who wins or loses this motion. I think about the millions of kids in this country who but for public education will not have a chance at life. I think about the thousands and thousands of teachers who are isolated in individual classrooms and who, frankly, have no interest in the status quo and who join a union or stay in a union because they want voice in how their kids get a decent education. I have been in three schools a week when I was the president of the United Teachers in New York City, and I have been in over 50 places in the last year and a half since I've been the president of the American Federation of Teachers. What I can tell you, that this union, under our watch, and you see the examples from both what Gary said, who happens to be the superintendent of the year in California, as well as what Kate says, who every single day is teaching children, as well as doing her union work. We want to make every single school a school where parents want to send their kids and educators want to work.
0: Randy Weingarten, your time is up.
1: What we're asking...
0: Thank you very much. And that concludes this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. All right, it's all in now. Um, Remember, we had you vote once before and once after. Before the debate, 24% of you were for the motion, 43% were against, and 33% were undecided. After the debate, 25% are for, 68% against, and 7% undecided. The side against the motion wins. Congratulations to them. Thank you to all of you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz's chairman, Dana Wolf, is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whitmore is the audio engineer, and I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.intelligencesquaredus.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.